Welcome to the Air Combat Simulation Podcast, brought to you by BVR Productions. Together with content creators, mission builders, experts, and enthusiasts, we explore the comprehensive world of combat aircraft simulation. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Air Combat Sim. Uh, we're going to talk once again about missions and campaigns. Uh, we have a little bit different panel team or members uh, with us. So today we're happy to welcome Apache as last time. Hi. Uh, Saber TLA. Hi everyone. We have Goat. Hello. And for the first time, we have reflected, uh, reflected Sims, whom you may know for many campaigns, mostly from World War II era, but now, uh, as I understand, also upcoming more modern jets. Uh, can you tell a few words about you, yourself? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, hey, everyone. So my name is Greg, or Reflected. Uh, I've been playing flight sims since the early 90s, I think. Uh, it's the same old story. I watched Top Gun as a kid. I wanted to become a fighter pilot, but then I turned out to be color deficient, so I couldn't. So I, I'm, I'm doing other stuff, but I did become a pilot, only a recreational one. I mostly fly gliders, but yeah, I've been playing with DCS for, I don't know, five, six years probably. I just love uh, working with the mission editor. Uh, I've been making lots of missions for myself, but then a couple of years ago, I played um, Bunyip's Epsom campaign for the Spitfire, and I thought, man, this is awesome. This is the most immersive uh, experience I've had in a flight sim. I want to do something similar, and I gave it a try. Uh, ED liked it, and yeah, the rest of the story, you, you know that. That's it in a nutshell. And as you said, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was curious. Uh, so you've been doing it for five or six years. Have you been uh, Have you been making missions that whole time, or did it take you a bit of time to get ramped into it? Well, as as you said last time, or, or somebody mentioned it, it has a very steep learning curve. So at the beginning, I only opened the mission editor so that I can create immersive scenarios but only for myself so that I can fly the modules that I like um, in a good environment, so to speak. Yep. But then step by step, I, I made them more complex, more difficult, more randomized, whatnot. And uh, that's how I learned how to use the mission editor. But I never thought about making campaigns publicly. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I know. And I'm, I'm somewhat of a new, uh, new guy to it all. And what I find myself doing is something similar where I'm trying to learn a certain feature of the aircraft. So I generally do start in the mission editor and will continue to enhance a specific mission as I'm trying to learn something new. Yeah, I do that a lot. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if, uh, you know, I, and I don't know if there is a norm or if there's a standard, but uh, I was just curious as you as you got ramped and you started doing this. Uh, I imagine that's probably very similar because um, 
you know, I think there's probably these thresholds that people go through in terms of their learning curve. But as you said, it's pretty steep. But it's amazing to see where I think where you guys certainly uh, are different in that you've gone on to master the tool set. And that's that's pretty neat. Fortunately, it keeps us on our toes with updates. <laughs> so I, was gonna say, I wouldn't say master as much as it's a continual learning process, right? Every time uh, there's a change, there's new stuff added and, and things change. So, but yeah, it's definitely uh, been an experience to learn it for sure. I'll call it master of patience. <laughs> <laughs> with that, yep. I'm quickly running out of with this COVID-19 thing and being stuck at home. That's true. Yeah. And uh, so you're from Hungary, right? Reflected. Yeah, that's correct. Although I moved to Indonesia about a year ago. But yeah, still from Hungary. Cool. So uh, I think from the last time, one big issue we probably touched upon uh, is the dynamic campaign, which we're still all waiting for, and which is a kind of enigma in a way still. So my question would be, what do you expect from it? And what, what do you think it will be out? I think uh, its release date is anybody's guess. Um, expecting of it? Well, no, I, uh, everybody's going to compare it to what BMS has offered. I will admit I have not played uh, the BMS game. Uh, the only dynamic campaign that I've got experience with was uh, Comanche Engaged way back in the day. I thought it was a very unique um, experience, but how ED incorporates it, is it going to be just for one map? Is it going to be, um, is it going to be, you know, aircraft dependent? Can you, can you select different aircraft? It's going to be a very interesting uh, product when it comes out. And yeah, when it comes out, who knows when that'll be? I have no idea. For me, I think my experience was ill too. I think that, that was a dynamic campaign and I really enjoyed it. There was some kind of progression. It had the same squadron, squadron members would go up with you. They could die, they could you know, learn. It was a cool thing. But I mean, from my point of view, and I guess, I mean, we, we're all missing the dynamic campaign as such in, in this year's because, of course, it gives you more continuity and more control of what's, what's going on than. And even even the one that we have now with the stages where you can uh, branch the campaign in a way. But my question, another question, I think I'm I'm kind of thinking about is whether uh, it will be possible for us as third-party developers to develop them in a special way and then then give them to Ed. Will we get the tools to do that? What do you think? I hope so. <clears throat> I guess uh, yeah. Tech what Apache said. Um... My experience was with BMS two and IL two and and uh, I guess what else? Uh, well, I guess at this point, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm keen to see it, but uh, until we actually have it in our hands, it's hard to say exactly how it'll be implemented and what we can do with it. Um, the branching model we have today is is challenging, I'd say, and and somewhat limited. Whereas uh, with a dynamic campaign, hopefully, it produces you know an endless set of branches that uh, the campaign can take depending on you know the outcomes so um, I've been following a thread recently called project dynamism I think maybe I didn't say that right but uh, it seems to be trying to emulate the dynamic campaign model to some degree so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out and how uh, Ed's you know version of it you know matches so 
I don't know if you guys have seen that thread. I think it's called Project Dynamism, but it's the same kind of idea, um, saving the results of one mission and, and forwarding them into the next. So, yeah, I'll send you guys the thread if you haven't seen it. Funny you mentioned that. Uh, I'm now in touch, or actually, I'm working with Greg, another third-party dev. Uh, who did the Huey campaign? He is working with Petutis, uh, his squad member. They're working on a, or we're working together on a dynamic campaign, but based on the things we can do right now, special scripts uh, for the uh, Hornet. And it seems it's 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 really amazingly. It can be amazingly complex and achieve a lot of things. Um, to be honest, I haven't seen too much of it yet, but from what I've read and what I talked to them. It it it's gonna be pretty amazing if it really works, uh, and it looks like it's gonna work. So uh, stay tuned because we'll have more info on that for you guys. Coming back to to the ED campaign when it comes out, um, how do you think? Because I've talked to some people, and the the question, another question that came up was whether it will completely remove the interest in playing the story driven campaigns, or will it be like two separate tracks? I think it'll still be two separate entities. Um, you'll have the sandbox that the dynamic campaign would be able to fill, but then if somebody wants to play a scripted storyline, uh, you can you can think of other video games out there. Like look at the um, the Far Cry series or something. You can either do the sandbox and just run amok, uh, but then there's a storyline that progresses through as well. I think I think each one has its has its uh, own group of people that'll you know follow it. I think, or I hope, these two things will be very, very different. So I don't have a lot of experience with dynamic campaigns. Maybe, I'm not sure if it qualifies as a dynamic campaign, but I flew Rise of Flight a lot, and there was this third-party application called Patrick Wilson's Campaign Generator. I think it's kind of a dynamic campaign generator app. And basically, it gave you an infinite amount of single missions that somehow connected but it was so random that it couldn't tell a story. It didn't have the storyline that, that scripted campaigns can offer. So as long as we focus on that part of, uh, of, the, of the campaign, so making sure that there, there's a good storyline, um, there are characters, so on and so forth, I think it's totally different from, from a mass-generated single mission, even though they connect somehow, but it's it's not the same idea. Or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Correct me. Yeah, that sounds cool. I'm, I'm kind of hoping it's going to be like the turn-based um, uh, military board games. I don't know if you guys have ever done anything like that. But, um, you know, it's all driven by dice throws and, and things like that. But the, uh, but the outcomes, you know, kind of can... Uh, change the direction of the battle between the two opposing forces. And so if it's a true dynamic um, output to me, then that kind of implies that depending on how you set up, you know, the opposing forces, you can have quite some interesting battle outcomes, right? And uh, and the variability in that is, is what's going to make, I think, uh, you know, future campaigns that use it really exciting because, you know, depending on some, maybe some random element that you throw into it, uh, could totally change the course of the war. So every time you play the campaign, you, it could be a completely different outcome for the player, right? So to me, that's 
that's really exciting. And it is in contrast like to a story-driven uh, or scripted campaign where you kind of control the whole thing. This is going to be more like uh, having the AI, you know, battle it out and see kind of what happens on the battlefield. And does the front line move forward, you know, or backwards and the units get overwhelmed and then, you know, how do you control all that? So I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It might complicate our jobs a whole lot more as we have to take into account all these different variables now that are at play. But uh, if it's to me, at least if it comes like a, a turn-based, um, you know, battle uh, board game type model, I think, uh, I think the campaigns will be really exciting because yeah, you really won't know going into the next mission, you know, what, what's really hap- happened from the last mission, how it plays into the next mission and how that's affecting the overall battle going forward. So yeah, if it, if it plays out the way I'm hoping, I think we'll see some really interesting and exciting, uh, real world, you know, simulated campaigns. I think, I think it sounds very compelling to me. It's not. And I think that if you, you look at the campaign, you certainly, if those are the anchor points and then it just dynamically goes from there, it actually is going to have a lot more value for the user, mm-hmm. the amount of entertainment they could get out of it. Well, definitely more replayability. But uh, Coach, you are the in the episode that hasn't aired yet, but will air before this one is out. So everyone will be, have a chance to hear, to listen to it about BMS, right? Mm-hmm. And remember, I think Max over there said that they spent literally years working and, and lots of people working on Dynamic Campaign, and it was one of the most daunting tasks they have taken and it's up to date they still have they're finding some bugs and problems for a long time ago and they're still polishing it so to me it sounds like a really big 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 job uh, and an accomplishment to to have it out yeah no i can i can certainly uh actually i can't imagine how complicated and difficult it is because i think you know as you mentioned a few minutes ago uh that when you have something like that that it it has to be something that's cohesive and entertaining, not random. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I agree with that. I think that, um, you know, that's one of the things where you have the great storyline that you guys come up with. That's fantastic. Um, but I think, you know, to your point in, in terms of replayability, there's more, there's some value on that and not knowing um, what's going to happen. That's kind of exciting too. And I think there's a whole, different layer to that which will be combined arms as well i think they could play quite a big role in in dynamic campaign so and again that's complicating things i guess a little bit for development purposes so you have more players more types of units they have to think about etc etc yeah no i think it's i think it's i think it's going to be really i think it's going to be really compelling So how do you guys, when you're, and again, when we, as you envision forward, how do you see your process changing in terms of dynamic campaigns? How would you uh, put your stories together? Well, I think, um, as mentioned before, uh, I think it was reflected that said it, that I hope that it's two completely different entities because the audiences are completely different. I, with with the story campaigns, you know that's just just going one direction with it, and if the player wanders too far off, the mission doesn't succeed. Um, I there's too many questions for me to even comprehend what with the possibilities with a dynamic campaign mixed in with a story could be, or if there are just 
too many variables to make it viably possible. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I, I think it's, it's certainly conceptually, it seems very interesting and, but I would not begin to understand how uh, with a dynamic piece, what you would anchor in there at certain points and then what the decision trees look like. Because to a point we could do that with our campaigns right now in the storyline where we would branch it off to, you know, if the player makes one decision, the campaign branches this way or it goes another way. But with the amount of possibilities that you could just end up down the rabbit hole and, oh my, that would be so much work. <laughs> it would be crazy. Imagine you'd have to record voiceovers for each branch. You would end up with thousands or more. So how, like, so when we start talking about, and again, it's just sort of uh, taking a step back and actually going back towards uh, your campaigns, and how long does it normally take for you guys to put together the concept, or how long does do you sit sit on it or let it evolve before uh, you jump into it, or do you actually um, put it out there and it evolves as you start putting it together? For me, it. Of course, it depends on on the campaign itself. Uh, some of them are growing as I build them, so I have just a general idea, and I go mission by mission, and then when I finish one, I say, oh, it would be cool to have something like this happen in the next mission. Or sometimes I know what kind of mission I want to have, and I build other missions just to lead to that point, so everything plays out together nicely. But then there are some campaigns that are really growing a long time so there's one for the harrier i'm thinking about for a year or more more right now for persian gulf and i'm still thinking about it but i haven't started doing anything so it depends as with many things did you like the raven one campaign that you're that's in development right now or did you find it uh, constraining uh it was definitely different than the others because uh well first of all you have a I had a script already written in a way as a, in the form of a novel, but with only a few missions exactly described. And I had to come up with others that would fit into the whole idea and that it would be a was evaluated by the guy that wrote the book. So Hoser. And it was quite challenging, but I think, I mean, working with him is just incredible. And I think what we have now, those 15 missions, um, they're going to be really lots of fun. Now, do you, do the rest of you guys think that bringing a novel to life would be something that would be an interesting approach, or would that seem um, like a like a, a task that might be too constrained, or at least an initiative that'd be too constrained for you? I don't think it would be too constraining because uh, the story in the novel was already successful to be made you know, to the point that it's at. So it would be you know kind of fun to relive the novel. Um, I think some of us, though, might just want to create our own novel and go that direction. Now, that's not saying anything against Raven One, that uh, amazing book. Um, and I, yeah, no, I think that would make a fantastic uh, campaign. I'm looking forward to seeing what you can do with it, Baltic. Um, but I think I think some of us might just, you know, I don't think it'd be constraining at all. That's, Apache says that because he's now bringing to DC as the Gone with the Wind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, you know, it's a classic. Yeah, it is. It is a treat. Um, but it would be interesting, though, uh, in it because we we also uh, have talked to some other folks about the podcast that are pilots that have written novels that uh, you know are interested in it because I think it's a very interesting. Uh, it's a very complimentary situation where you've got you've got this uh, um, an amazing flight simulator. And you've got this great story, and it doesn't necessarily have to be modern either. You look at it, how many you could do from World War II. So I think there's some really interesting opportunities um, to bring those books to life in a very complimentary way uh, with DCS. So I actually did exactly that. So one of my favorite aviation books is uh, The Big Show by Pierre Klosterman. Hmm. And in my Big Show campaign, I kind of recreated uh, his most memorable missions. Of course, it's not a fictional book and a fictional storyline that was already written and I had to bring it to life, but these were missions flown for real and I could do some research on them. Uh, it wasn't constraining at all. It was definitely a challenge uh, because the missions had to go exactly the way it was described, and some sometimes it was very difficult to achieve with the AI. But uh, but I think it's it's manageable. Yeah, I think it's a, a great reference to to use these stories. Like who who wouldn't want to fly missions from Red Storm Rising, for instance, one of Tom Clancy's uh, famous books, right? So I think it's yeah, I think it's a great reference source, and I think uh, I think there's lots of opportunity to do both uh, storyline based on on you know real stories that. That really happened, and also fictional ones, and uh, and there's you know space for all of that, and I think it it can all do really well. You know, people always want new content too, but uh, you know, taking missions and historically doing them. Um, I know at one point I had a vision where uh, I used to read uh, Aviation History magazine, and in there they usually used to have like historical missions in it, and I always thought, wouldn't it be so cool if there was like a file I could download and fly that mission that I just read about in that magazine, you know, I thought that would be really interesting to uh, try and experience it firsthand after, uh, after reading the storyline, you know? So I think, yeah, I think there's tremendous opportunity for that. And, Guys, uh, build a few, build yeah. a few. We have no flying legends. We can have a flying library. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, that would be, that would be, that would be pretty fantastic. Now, how long does it take for, for you guys to normally go through the entire process from beginning to end. Uh, and my experience is only having to work with uh, my friend BD here uh, on Raven one and just watching it uh, from the sidelines has been fantastic. Uh, but, you know, is it something that when you guys jump into that, it's you're spending 10 hours a week and it takes you two years or how does it, how does it play out for you? Well, I guess it depends on the campaign, as Baltic said. Um, some, of them, some of them I find are easier to do than others, like our training uh, campaigns and that, the qualification campaigns we did were pretty straightforward because we really just, you know, looked at the specs and then tried to, uh, to code the missions to match the specs. But uh, the one we're working on now, which is a red flag campaign for the F-5, it's uh, taken a long time to get it right. We're really putting a lot of effort into trying to make it uh, immersive and uh and realistic and having the AI, you know, battles uh, be representative of what you would expect for uh, for real fighting. So, uh, yeah, it's we're probably about two years into that one now before it's going to be ready. But 
So it really depends. But yeah, I'd say it's a good, it's a long time. <laughs> it's a lot of work to get it done. And when you make it finished, then you go back and redo it again or refactor it, I guess, uh, in some cases, at least that's what we do. So until yeah. we get it to a point where we're really comfortable with it and then uh, then we'll release it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And then the bug squashing starts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then every time there's a release, right? It's like, oh, no, what did I do? <laughs> Have to retest that, refix it. Yeah. And for so, you, Reflected? Yeah, in my experience, you can never finish a campaign. You can just stop working on it at some point. And you say, okay, this is as far as I could get. And But then eventually you would go back because you have a better idea how to solve this and that situation. It's a never-ending story. Add to that uh, all the updates, the slight AI changes, new triggers, and yeah, it, it, it is a rabbit hole. Um, asked, yeah, someone asked recently about adding a, a mission link to your briefing page, right? So that's what we're doing now. We're going into all our missions and putting a little, you know, we think this mission is an hour long, two hours long, three hours long, whatever it is, because people have asked for that, right? And I think that's a good idea, but, you know, we didn't think of it at the time when we first did the campaign, but. So we're trying to add them in retroactively now to help people out, right? So that's yeah. an easy change, though. It, yeah, it's one one line text change. Yeah, <laughs> no testing required. I think when building a campaign, you break it up into uh, separate points. Um, one of them being you develop the story, then you go into mission building, then you realize, oh, this isn't possible with the mission building. Then you go back to the story, <laughs> you go back to the mission. Yeah. And then when a new update comes out, you go back to it all again to fix it all. And then hope hope that when you release the campaign, that the patch or the update that ED does that releases that campaign doesn't also mess up some of the AI units. Mm. Like Reflected said, it's a uh, it can be a never-ending thing. But with duration of creating campaigns, uh, it can it can also evolve into something where as you're working on it. You know, you realize, oh, hey, maybe I want to do this and this. And every mission you add adds uh, an insurmountable amount of time. It's hard to calculate because so many times I'll work on it and I'll get pulled away to, to do something and I'll come back. Um, Museum Relic, I think, took me about a year. And then the one that I'm working on now, I, I hate to say this, but I've been story writing it on and off for the last two and a half years. But that's just because life gets in the way, and yeah, uh, it, it's it it takes a long time. Yeah, I will I will say that the, one of the biggest surprise uh, for me, um, and it's on a tangent here, was when I had kids. I never realized the switching cost of children. So, <laughs> and when I I finally uh, realized that life was a little bit more uh, acceptable for me. But two and a half years, I have to hand it to you guys. I mean. Having the discipline to stick with it and do that, that's pretty incredible. How much time do you guys spend on building campaigns per week? Uh, it, it varies. This two and a half years that I had mentioned of writing this one, I probably took a good five months off uh, just because life gets in the way, switching jobs, learning new airplanes to fly. Uh, you have to put it, put it off for a bit. And I just started up again, but I actually had to reread everything that I've written already to catch myself up with the story and see kind of which way I was going. Um, you don't want to put too much into it and burn yourself out. And there are there are ebbs and flows. Story writing, like right now, I can kind of take it slow. But once I get into the mission building, 
it, it might pick up a lot because um, you know you get the ball rolling, and once once you have a you know, once you have that going, it's easier to to just keep rolling with it as long as you know you don't have to go and change diapers all of a sudden or you know feed <laughs> all that fun stuff. Well, what do you, I mean, so when you talk about story writing on it, what are the tools that you use? Do you like pop open Microsoft Word and go to town or do you use different tools or what are the tools that you use to actually craft that story? I've actually just been basing all my stuff on uh, Google Docs because then I can just, I can just do it on my phone or whatever if I'm in a hotel room or use my laptop if, I, if I've got that. It, basically, it's, I read somewhere, I think it was uh, Stephen King or, or somebody said, you know, a good author can do 10 pages a day. And when I was really story writing, I was happy with like four paragraphs a day because I would always, <laughs> I would write and then I would read it and I go, well, that didn't flow. Then I go back and change it and I am, I'm the worst writer ever. <laughs> well, I'm using Google uh, Sheets for the, for the scripts themselves. But for most of the stuff, briefings, materials, uh, etc., I, I use Pages uh, and basically the tools on, on on Mac for that. Yeah, I use Open Office for our our documentation for most of it, and then uh, we've got a couple of different uh, graphics editors that we use so for the documentation piece. But uh, yeah. For briefing pages, I use uh, Serif. It's a cheaper knockoff of like Adobe. And then for voiceovers, I will use Cyber Director or Cyber. What about uh, collaboration? Um, hmm. I'm using Audacity for all my voiceover recordings and and uh, sound effects and things like that. I find it works pretty well and it's free. So <laughs> gotta love free. For the voiceovers, I'm using Sony Vegas. It's a video editor program, but it has a lot of options uh, to play around with the voice. So I'm kind of familiar with that. So I'm, I'm using that one. But otherwise, yeah, Google Sheets and Google Docs so I can access it from anywhere. What does your review process look like? Do you have other folks that you pull in to take a look at it, to give you feedback? All right, for the, uh, for the story that I'm writing, I've, I've pulled a couple people in to read it just to make sure it makes sense to them. As, as the author, I can read it, and I already know which direction I'm going, so of course it makes sense to me, but I want to see if other people can uh, make sense of it. But then for mission stuff, usually those same people that I have do this, read the story, I'll have them, or I'll ask them if they'd like to test some of the stuff as well. Because like I said, I know what the mission should do, but I want to see if somebody who isn't in the mission editor like I am can break it by doing something wrong or, uh, or or find something or do something that I didn't anticipate, like turn you know right instead of left. Right. And I make sure everything is easy to the uh, the average player. Yeah. Well, I, I only have a couple of uh, very experienced former Hornet drivers right now. <laughs> no mm -hmm. jokes aside. Uh, I, I usually get a few people that I know and I can trust them to just test the, some of the missions. Before, and what Apache said, yeah, they have to be tested because there are many things I would never come up with or think about that people might do. But having said that, uh, I, I kind of expect when people are flying a military airplane 
with a flight plan and the game plan that's been given to them that they follow that plan because if they don't i don't want to build mission that will flow nicely if they do that because in real life if they, they just did something else that they were told to in the military it wouldn't work i guess right yeah, you expect them to follow orders right if they don't follow orders yeah. they're going to be reprimanded right so exactly i agree with you Baltic. yeah i think i think having the testers do that though um yeah, you uh, follow orders, but are are the orders that I give clear enough that it's easy enough to understand the orders? Right. Yeah. But those think simple things like following a flight plan. Of course, many triggers will fire only if you're in a specific place, which is along your flight plan usually. So if people don't do that, and then they come, hey, it doesn't work. Mm. Uh, well, sorry. Yeah, and that happens very often. And when you're in a Hornet or a Tomcat or a modern plane you have this little bug to follow, so you know exactly where to go. But if you're in a Spitfire or a Mustang, you have to look at the map and be at the right spot, but usually you are not because there's wind and there's all that stuff. And if you're not at the right spot, then then it doesn't fire any of the triggers. So it's kind of difficult. Can the, can the players in your uh, World War II campaigns, can they bring up the Garmin 430? Uh, I don't think so, or I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> I haven't tried. I mean, it would be cheating, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they can still look at the F10 map. Or uh, bring up the kneeboard and just, what is it, like, Shift-K, Shift-K, Shift-K every 10 seconds? Yeah. That's your point. <laughs> Speaking about testing, um, now that you guys are here, would any one of you be up for... Um, testing my new Tomcat campaign when it's finished. I would love to hear your feedback. Okay, I'll learn, learn it. Yeah, I'll learn that especially for you, reflected. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm up. Yeah, I bought the Hornet especially for you because I've read uh, the book Raven 1. I loved it so much and then I heard that you're doing a campaign version. Okay, I said I have to buy and learn the Hornet even though I don't really like the plane, but then you're on the beta testing team for Raven 1. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There you go. Yeah, I, I think it's... Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, Raven 1 come to fruition. Um, and I'm, I think there's a huge opportunity with the Tomcat. And then, you know, and it's interesting because we, on the Fighter Pilot Podcast, we also had uh, Paco on there who's written a number of uh, books. So I, I've... It's one of the things of trying to you know, if we could find these authors and then pair them, I thought that might be an interesting approach as well. So I don't know if you guys, if we encounter some authors, if you're interested in, in pursuing that, we can um, certainly look at it. But, you know, I look for BD to drive that, if that's something that uh, makes sense. Yeah, cool. I think that would be a good idea, actually, because yeah, every one of us, I guess, specializes in different planes so that's a big opportunity yeah and that's what i i was interesting because i was sitting there thinking about paco and how he's been an a6 and an f14 pilot uh and the f5 as well and having that experience and being able to have him and and that's where i thought there could also be this joint opportunity of having uh the campaign creator in conjunction with the author who's done that uh, work together uh, to come up with it. So, you know, again, uh, you know, forgive me, I'm a I'm a newbie and I don't know this stuff. 
uh, on the sideline here. So it, a lot of things seem good to me. Oh, I, I think that's a great idea. Having subject matter experts like that to uh, consult and give guidance, I think is uh, is a great idea. Yeah, I think it makes for a better product for sure. I mean, that's what Hollywood does, right? They get the experts in on medical or whatever to consult on Grey's Anatomy and shows like that. So, well, know, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, no, and Paco was the one that uh, was uh, in, he's the one that got Hollywood involved and ultimately pulled out or put together Speed and Angels. Yeah, 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 yeah. That. that's cool. I yeah. think we could pursue that through the Fighter Pilot podcast. Or through, I mean, go ahead with that and talk to the guys and and see what we can come up with. It's a great idea. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and I think there's also some other um, some other folks in the background. But anyway, anyway, something we can we can play with that idea and see if we can um, pair some folks together. That'd be pretty interesting to see. Yeah, okay. Good. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on the possibility of this, but I think maybe there'd be some uh, copyright issues that you'd have to clear before before pursuing something like that. You're you're probably right. I think that I think if we were to say here's an existing author with an existing book, then um, they would need to come up with they would need to uh, weave the navigation or na- excuse me navigate uh, the legal uh, uh, path. However, if you were to come up with something that was unique with them and said, hey, I've got an idea about this. So, for example, the F-14 was reflected. If we were able to hand an author or somebody uh, pair with a subject matter expert, I think that would be great for the pilot as well. Um, it keeps them, even if they're retired, it keeps them partially in touch with what's happened with, you know, with the community. So I think it's pretty neat. But but you're right. It's not going to be simple as flipping a switch and it's there. There's going to be some some work that's probably going to have to go in and make sure that everything is uh, all the legal uh, boxes. Checked. Yeah, I think a license agreement is probably all we'd have to work out. Now you have to get the legal uh, lawyers involved in that to sort it, and there probably be some royalty payments to the author, obviously, for using his work in that. But yeah, I think it's certainly doable. I mean, like I said, Hollywood does it all the time for movies, right? They base them on stories at times and uh you know so obviously it can be done we just need to get the right people involved and get ed involved and that kind of thing so yeah i think it's a cool it's a, like i said it's another source of reference material right for yeah and for, people love it i think let's just try to go that way and see what we can do and i'm looking at watch we'll more than half an hour even more than that, into the show, and we still have some questions posed by by listeners. So I propose, why don't we jump to them and try to answer them? Unless anyone has anything else to add on dynamic campaign on the things we just discussed. All right. So I have ten questions here, uh, and let's go one by one and try to answer as good as we can. So the first one is very tough. It's from Stephen who asked. If reflected, could you also join the podcast? That would be cool. No, no. <laughs> I don't think so. so here you go, Stephen. Uh, we have reflected on the show, uh, and that's a very good idea. Uh, so then Alf says, I'll, I'll just read him out. Hello, gents. Just started listening to the podcast about a week ago. Great stuff. I'm starting to dive into mission editing myself, and I would like to hear a discussion on if when to use scripted mission systems such as Moose, what are the pros and cons from an experienced mission maker's point of view? What are your preferences? Thanks and keep up the excellent work. I think we touched a little bit on that last time. 
but yeah, I my, myself I tried to use moves once or twice. I never got into it. I just saw there's lots of capabilities and possibilities it has. But what what is your experience? I'm kind of scared of scripts. It's really complex. It's like black magic for me. I partly understand how they work, but I'm just too scared to use them in my missions because if there's a change and they break, I have no idea how to fix them. I'm I'm on the same page. Uh, I like keeping it uh, with officially released tools. Um, I had a buddy of mine tell me about scripts, and he's he's trying to uh, put me on you know team scripting. Unfortunately, I couldn't code myself out of a paper bag. Uh, but he was he was saying that everything that uh, is in the scripts uses the uh, if then you know trigger system that's in the game too. So if something breaks with the trigger system or the flag system, then it would break in the script too. So it seems like they're married together. But like Reflected said, I I I don't understand. I I'm just going to keep with what uh, Eagle Dynamics has in the the mission editor as best I can. That that said, though, what some of the people can do with scripting and the mission editor and multiplayer missions, it is incredibly complex. And I think there's a lot of power to be had in it. Things that I can't do with just the regular tools that are given to me, uh, other people can make plenty of use of. So there is potential, for sure. Yeah, I'd echo what, what the others have said. Um, for commercial product, we don't really want to be dependent on on someone else's code, if we can help it, it's a challenge enough just being dependent on head's code. Um, but for certain things, for sure, uh, the CTLD script is a good example of one where you can do lots of cool things with the with the helicopters uh, using that. And I'd say the scripts, um, well, being a coder by trade, uh, you know, scripting is a very useful tool. Can save you a lot of time because uh, usually uh, the people that generate those scripts have already figured out a lot of the problems that you're trying to solve yourself. So it never hurts. It's almost like a library, right? You you want to go and find a function or something that somebody's already created to save you the time from doing it. So it's a big time saver, but you do have to weigh it against the cost of, uh, you know, that author who wrote that script. Is he going to support it? Is he gone? Uh, if it breaks, yeah, do you have to now go in and debug all of his code and figure out what he was doing, you know, and depending on how well it's written and if there's any documentation for it or not. You know, so there's a lot of risks uh, with it, but as I said, uh, you know, it can save you a ton of time, and you can do some really cool things with it that you can't do, you know, with just out of the box uh, ed products. So, you know, pick your poison, I guess, is would be my message. And for commercial stuff, like I said, yeah, we're we're not depending on uh, on scripts from other third parties. Um, we're just going to take whatever Ed is providing and, and use that. I think that's the key word, commercial. Uh... Because the people would expect companies to work if they paid for it for them, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's much easier to fix things using only tools provided by ED. So I think that's the answer. Yeah, that I would give. Mm-hmm. All right. So another two questions from Casimir, who says, "Love the show, guys. I have a couple of questions." What's the process of getting a campaign published through ED? What are the requirements, standards, and red tape that you had to go through? What's the official requirements regarding ongoing support for the campaign? So um, what I'd say, there was a post recently by Nineline, and I think we had it in the last uh, show notes, so we'll add it this time again, uh, where some of the things are answered. Uh, but. Well, basically, you have to have a, quite a good story, and you have to have at least what ten missions is it? 
uh, with enough voiceovers, documentation, etc. That and that's done in a decent way, and then it goes to add for for checking. And and if if it meets the standards, then you could probably go ahead with it. What do you think, guys? Anything to add? Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Baltic. I think <clears throat> for us, at least, it was kind of getting our name known, getting uh, some recognition and visibility around what we were doing. And then, uh, yeah, you, you know, Ed wants to see that the product meets a certain level of, uh, of capability. And in respect to support, um, you know, uh, yeah, I think you have to be committed and continue to uh, to uh, to support it. Um, and we all have to sign, you know, a third-party agreement and that kind of thing, which is the, the legalese part of it. Um, but uh, but yeah, you definitely have to be committed and 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 pr produce good product, right? Well, I think I would add to that also that if you are doing a uh, campaign for a third-party developed airplane, as I understand, you don't need to have permission of that developer because the campaigns are all kind of going to through ED, so th mm -hmm. they're the only ones you have to speak to officially. Although, of course, I think it's good to have good relations with third-party devs if you're doing a campaign for their uh, module because it helps. How, how is it working with ED? I mean, I imagine every every situation's a bit different, but have they when you approach them with a concept, are they generally pretty open? You know, with the contacts that I have, um, I've got a good relationship with them all. Uh, sometimes a little bit can be lost in translation as... Uh, not everybody speaks English, um, but other than that, it's I've had a, I've had good rapport with uh, everybody that I've spoken with at ED. Yeah, likewise for us, we've had a great great experience with them, and they've been very supportive and and uh, helpful in that in that regard. So yeah, for sure. Same here. Only good good experience. Uh, I remember once came with the idea for Normandy map for a black shark helicopter that would take place in the second world war or something like final countdown type of scenario mm -hmm. and they said oh we really don't like the idea but if you want go ahead so yeah that's really nice <laughs> that would <Yeah>. be cool <laughs> blowing up german tanks with the ka-50 that, that would be pretty cool <laughs> that's what i thought well it's a good idea unless it's on yeah. the german side then that i don't know if I, how i'd feel about that <laughs> blowing up the american germans and stuff well, maybe I'll come back to that once I learn flying black shark. That's a small problem because I can't. You'll have, to, you'll have to put a side story in there on how you you personally launched uh, enough satellites into space to set your GPS up. <laughs> no, no, I was thinking about it. I, I was checking if you can do some kind of uh, this uh, failure on your on your systems, but I think you can't. So the only way to do it would be to ask the player to turn them off manually <laughs> in the beginning. Well, you could you could make it so that. Um, you have a parameter met, and then once the pilot turns on, what, what is it, the a, 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 a Brius or something? I uh, yeah. Once that turns on, you just have the system turn it off again. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know, there's always a solution. That's what I'm saying with Mission Editor. It's great because if you think outside the box, you'll always find a way to achieve things. Well, almost always. All right, let's go to another... The, Three questions from Joe A. Kunzler, who says, Sure, Joe has several questions for you on missions. How long does it take you to write them into the game? So that's been answered before. Also, do you rec record a soundtrack for the campaigns and missions? 
That's a good one. Where do you take your music from for your trailers or? For the trailers, I usually just Google some, how do you say that in English, free to use music. So that's one thing. But it's interesting about the soundtracks because for my Tomcat campaign, uh, I'm going to be working together with uh, an 80s synthwave band called New Arcades, who were kind enough to let me use one of their songs as the soundtrack of, of the campaign. So it's going to be the soundtrack of the trailer, but it's going to pop up in the missions as well. So I think cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Well, the soundtrack that I've got in the trailer for mine, I uh, just happened to be listening to some YouTube music while I was working on the campaign, and I really liked this one piece. So I, I contacted the artist himself, and then he uh, he had the um, he sent me to the publisher because they had the rights to it then. So I actually had to uh, buy the rights to the that particular bit of music for it. Uh, myself, I for the trailers I use a few websites that offer those um, uh, royalty-free music that you can purchase for. That's that, that uh, a lot. But also recently, I had a few people approaching me uh, via Facebook and other means and sending me some of their material. Some of them I've used, uh, for instance, for the Raven One kind of trailer I did. Uh, that's that's the one created by a community member, and also. Uh, I'm happy to be able to work with Jaime Lopez, who's the PVR Productions guy for music, and he's working on Fighter Pilot podcast. And also, he wrote the uh, theme of our podcast that you can hear in the beginning and in the end. And thank you, Jaime, for this. So, yeah, I think as as time passes and as you grow your audience, you have lots of phenomenal people in in the in the community that that are willing to help with lots of skills, and we try to use them as much as we can. Yeah, for us, uh, it's the same. Um, we look for uh, the free to use or uh, royalty free music as well. And uh, we also try to leverage some of the stuff that Ed's already produced uh, just to give it some consistency in that. So, so yeah, I like that F16 uh, music for the theme. <laughs> so we'll probably see that in uh, a trailer before too long for one of our campaigns. But... Oh, that's a good idea, actually. Yeah, why not? Uh... All right, so and there's another bonus question that's for me. Any chance you can please do a series of missions based on Kevin Miller's second and third books in the future? Uh, I would love to, but I think we're a little bit limited as to as far as the maps go, uh, or theaters, because mm-hmm. we need some south... Maybe with Falklands, I could try to recreate second book, and the third book will need a whole Pacific, basically. More or less, because it's a huge China-US um, war. But we, probably we could, maybe with the Malvinas map. No, what's what Malvinas is Falcons? What was the new map that's coming? The Mariana. Marianas, yes. Yeah. So Marianas yeah. As long as nobody, I mean, technically they moved on to the uh, F-18E. So, as long as, but I don't think that's a big deal. That's no. Nah. So we'll see. I mean. Uh, I, I don't exclude that. All right, let's move to another one or two from Howard. Uh, what are some neat tips and tricks you have for the rest of our mission of us mission creators? And two, is there anything odd about the mission editor that is not immediately apparent or not covered in the manual? For instance, I only learned that trigger altitude is meters, meters after listening to a previous episode. Thanks for that. I've never been able to figure out what my altitude triggers never happened. 
I had given up thinking they're based on AGL. End of question. Hmm. The wind direction is something that never makes sense. Yeah, it's just opposite. <laughs> and it's, sometimes it's meters, sometimes it's in knots, right? I think it, uh, I remember it always being meters. If it changed to knots, um, that'd be a surprise. Yeah, I think it's the fact that it changed, depending on the wind direction, it changes the direction of the AI taking off from the runways. That was kind of a surprise to us, but I guess that's intuitive for, for people that are pilots, right? You're always taking off into the wind, I think. so. But for us, that was kind of a surprise that we were playing with the wind one day, and all of a sudden the AI was taking off in the opposite direction. We're like, what the heck? How did that happen? You know? But it, it doesn't work for now, does it? Because you can take only, normally you take off only one direction. Yeah, yeah I, think, I thought for uh, airports like um, Sochi, I think it's still a, a one, 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 one direction takeoff, one direction landing. I can't remember if the AI, AI uh, adheres to that. Yeah, but to me, it's the same. Yep. Yeah, no, but to me it goes both ways, I guess. No, but to me you're right; it's the same. It's only one way. Mess, yeah, mess it with capability. I think one tip I'd give, uh, and not everyone knows it, that if you you can port your units between missions using Control C, Control V, just to copy and paste what? them. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. If you copy the group, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good tip. Yeah. But then if you change the unit from like US to Russian, then they all become like a transport or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, do you guys use templates at all? Do you use the, the, the mission templates? We, we use those, try to save a group as a template and then, then you just click the template and put the group wherever you want. So if you're replicating a lot of groups, we find that's pretty, pretty quick. That's useful. Although I found out on different type of templates, when you build a mission that you use as a template for mm -hmm for the subsequent ones, that sometimes it causes problems later on. I don't know why, but it's, it's, I've had trouble with that. Mm. Yeah, but templates are very useful. That's true. And I think you can find quite a few of those on, online to save you building them up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some uh, that people have done. Another tip I would give if you're building a mission with lots of static statics and you will never use them in the mission when you name them put a z or z or something in front so they don't clutter your list of units they'll be always at the end yeah, that's a good one i don't know if this works or not in the in the past i hadn't had much success with it but i think later on it did but if i had units spawning in like a couple aircraft spawning in later in the mission i would have the like a mig 23 for example the mission would start, and I'd have an AI MiG-23 flying, and then five seconds later, I'd deactivate it. But that way, the memory of the MiG-23 was already in, in the system, so when the MiG-23 spawned later on, it wouldn't have as big of a hiccup. I think it's enough to put one on any of the air airports, just on the ramp. Should but give but if you try to do it as a static object, I, uh, I don't think the game treated it. No, not, not as a static, just uncontrolled or something like that. Well, when you press F2 to cycle through, because if you want to try and get a, a nice screenshot, then you'd see the MiG-23 on the runway, and I wouldn't want to have to you know, go through all those. So I figured deactivating it would be enough to kill, still keep the memory in storage. Yeah, as well. But it's, it's a good tip, yeah. In general, that, that helps. Yeah, I guess for us, if you want to avoid the AI kind of randomly returning to base right in the middle of a, a big battle or something because it's run out of fuel, maybe you had it orbiting for too long or something, we'll, we'll despawn it and, and spawn a new one in just for the battle. 
because with the uh, what we find is uh, at least the player typically won't notice that, right? Because they're busy, you know, getting ready for the battle or they're already in the battle, and uh, uh, it kind of helps if because uh, we have seen cases like that where we've had the AI orbiting for too long, and just when the battle starts, it, <laughs> they decide to go home. You know, it's like ah, oh, don't do that. That's so, true. Yeah despawn them and just spawn a new one in that's got a full tank and away they go and then they can battle for longer may not be completely realistic but at least it keeps the mission going right so oh it helps that's a good one yeah. you can you can disable the return to base on bingo i think yeah. uh, and basically what i usually do also if i want to be sure that the ai unit will engage uh, i would put them in, in no reaction to threat that's mm -hmm. an important one because for some reason, for instance, the seed planes would have uh, a low abort mission. <laughs> Sometimes they would just, instead of attacking, they would go back. Yeah. They would, they would dump their weapons first and flee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess another thing we did, too, is to detect, like, a bridge uh, being destroyed or something. We'd usually put a small uh, ground unit there, and then we would just test for the killing of that ground unit. wasn't always perfect, but... You know, because I, I, can you detect if bridges are destroyed now? We haven't haven't played in that space. You know, there was wow. something with the uh, with the mission editor where you click on a building and it has a little box that says "Assign to." I'm a little too nervous to kind of uh, see what that does, as I don't want to ruin any of my missions now. But it almost seems like you can assign a destruction zone or something to a building, and it may work. But can you test if it's been destroyed, like as a trigger element, I guess? Probably in a script you could do it, but in the, in the mission triggers, I'm trying to see if yeah, can you detect if this particular bridge was destroyed or if this particular building was destroyed. So I know in the past we always had to put ground units close by it, and we just assumed if the ground units were killed, well then good that the building's probably destroyed or the bridge is probably destroyed. You know. Yeah, I think I think it doesn't detect it. Doesn't, yeah. Okay. Hey guys, I got a, a quick question. Um, and maybe you all could answer. Do you find it more enjoyable to fly missions or to create missions? Build missions, hands down, for me. Mm. Because it, then you get to fly them, of course. Yeah, I was going to say the testing part is probably the most enjoyable for me is is because it's proving that I got the logic right or I got it wrong, <laughs> you know. But the flying, yeah, to me it's it's the testing part is what I enjoy the most, I think. I enjoy the building, um, but I have I have more joy in seeing that when a group of players are playing it and that it works without error. Yeah, okay, and let's let's go to the last question we have from Stefano, who says, "What is the tool you think is the most needed to be added into the mission editor?" Oh, this will be a long one. Debugging part, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then debugging part. What is the most annoying thing when creating a campaign? Creating documents, finding voiceovers, end of question. So, most needed tool. Where do we start? Oh, boy. Yeah, I agree with the undo button for sure. <laughs> that would be oh, yeah. handy. Um, I'd love to have the switch side uh, opportunity, especially for red flag. It would be great. So, you could, you could make the guy you're flying with your opponent for some time and then make him back your ally again. That would be great. Mm. And one I was thinking, especially for A10 or other cast uh, planes, if if you could just create zones that would be like I know spawning. Um, uh, I mean, emulate shooting. So you just have you can see those traces flying. You don't necessarily have to have uh, people down there because the ammunition reserves for the troops are just 
laughable. So you can have long firefights and not 30 second ones or two minute ones as we have now. Yeah, you can kind of simulate that, but you have to put them both sides as immortal, right? And then they just keep blasting away at each other. Yeah, but they run out of ammo, so we have to Yeah, support. they run out of ammo, yeah, that's true. What I'll do is I'll have like four units and I'll stay to them and I'll have one uh, fire first and then once he's out, the AI will turn on on another one and that one will fire and yeah. so forth. Yeah, I use the same. What do you guys feel about square uh, trigger zones? I know that's come up a few times. People have mentioned that, uh, as opposed to the round circle zones that we have now, right? Yeah, super useful. I was just going to say it would be helpful to have, like in Photoshop, you have that lesso tool. Mm -hmm. You just mm -hmm. click and point, it determines a polygon. So if you could design random shaped um, trigger zones, that would be really helpful. Yeah, random shapes would be good, yeah. Mm, where it just sort of they have the magnetic version that sort of follows the lines might be interesting too and for me also a missile in moving zone so you could easily say who should who shoots the missile mm. or if it's kind of getting close to you and also i would love to have a uh moving pilot for for Caesar uh, missions oh yeah I don't know why we don't have one still. Yeah, it's surprising. Yeah, a, a larger variety of um, objects, like soldiers or, or civilian units or something like that. I would, I would like to have that static units, buildings. There's a lot of those created by just uh, people that love to do that. And I would, if I were from ED, I would just look at those and try to adapt as many as I can. That would be a pretty easy way to have more and more. And many of them are very good quality. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, so we probably could go on and on with those. And let's move to the second one, unless you have something important still that came to your mind. All right, the second one was the most annoying thing when creating a campaign. Which part of the process is the toughest for you guys? Debugging the AI. Yeah, <laughs> agree. Yeah, I would agree. Unpredictable AI that uh, just yeah doesn't seem to do what you expect, and sometimes it'll do it, and then sometimes it won't, and it doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason sometimes, and then it changes after every patch. So yeah, I would agree. If they can get the AI just to be consistent. I think the worst part is exactly when you have something after hours of trying, you have something that works, and then patch comes out and it stops. And you have to do all it's all over again. That's true. Just for them to fix it in the next patch, and then you got to redo it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Done that a few times. Yeah. Change the mission, test it, send it out. Oh, got to change it back. How often do you guys get feedback from folks that have gotten your campaigns, whether it's positive, negative, or how often do you generally hear from them? Well, for us, it's pretty regular. I think I'm I'm pretty much scanning the forums every day and just seeing what comes in. And usually, we'll get something from someone every week asking about an issue or giving us some praise. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's the forums, it's the Facebook. It helps a lot and get lots of feedback via Facebook, also Discord channel. The people are very active. Mm. And it's appreciated for sure. Even the criticism. I mean, sometimes it, it hurts to hear, you know, some of it, but uh, it's honest and it makes us better. So to me, it's all it's all good. You yeah, know? I agree. If if I can make a plea to everyone that listens, guys, if you play the campaigns, 
and you find a bug, just let us know because we don't have time to go through the missions all over again and we just base things on your feedback quite often, at least me. So if you find anything, just let me know. I'll be happy to fix it. Or even if you don't find a bug, you just uh, share your opinion, what you liked about the campaign and what you did not like because it's yeah. the way we imagined it, but maybe people want something different and it helps us become better. It's a learning for everybody, right? And and we're learning to improve too. Like I look at some of my early campaigns and what we did and what we're doing now and you know, it's amazing how far we've come even just a few years. So, you know, but it's all all of it's based on, you know, user feedback, things that they liked, things they didn't like. I agree with it all. Positive and negative feedback. I, I take it all um with uh with gratitude. Uh of course, you know, I love hearing, you know, the, the good things where people enjoyed about it. <laughs> But then again, negative feedback helps a lot because it could tell me that uh, this mission was a little too difficult. Or with some of the negative feedback I've received, I've you know I've reached out and tried to help them and give them pointers on how to how to uh, get past a mission. But especially with uh, bug reports, um, mm. like Baltic said, that is um, that is a huge way for us to find out a bug is happening. Because unfortunately, with every patch, we we don't have time to fly each mission of each campaign that we've made to to check to make sure it works and. I wish we did. I wish there was a way to, to do it a little better than um, unfortunately having to wait until a report comes from the community. But unfortunately, that's the, kind of how it works right now. All right, guys. I think it's time to start wrapping it up. It's great discussion. I think we would continue, especially on the things we'd like to add it uh, to the mission editor, which I've always been saying that as it is, it's already great. It's an amazing job that they've done in ED. I thought about so many possibilities. It's It's amazing. Uh, so anything you'd like to say before we finish this one? No, just thank you, uh, Baltic and Goat and all of you guys for participating. I think this is a great uh, thing to do and to share uh, our experience you know, with the community. And I would just like to say uh, uh, I'd like to see more campaign creators. You know, Sedlow, Reflected, glad you were here. Um, you know, this is kind of new for a lot of people, but uh, I think the more that can join, the more content can get produced, the better it is for the players, better it is for Ed, better it is for everybody. So yeah, so if you're on the fence thinking like you can't do it, uh, jump off that fence, you can do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Jump in with both feet and, and don't let anybody say no, because if you try hard enough, you can be successful and uh, you know, just, just give it a try and see, and you'll, you'll know soon enough if it's for you or, or not. Or if you have any questions, or I don't know, you could always reach out to us. And then if you want us to look at some missions we created, I think we'd be happy to do that. And it's funny because there's no competition in this in this game, I guess. I mean, no competition between us. It's it's we're all in the same, in doing the same thing, and and just people always try those campaigns. So it's it's uh, me myself a good co like relation, I think, with most of the third party devs, and I love it. Yeah, it's the love of the love of the game. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that, Baltic. And you've done a lot for this to promote the game and everything else. So thank you to you and and all of you for uh, all the work that you've done. It's been wonderful. Um, the way I see it, the more great campaigns we have out there, the more people will will trust third party devs, and they're more likely to buy more campaigns. So I'm absolutely up for helping each other. This is no competition whatsoever. And I, was, I would also like to thank you guys for, for inviting me. I've learned a lot. I've been taking notes with your <laughs> tips and hints, and I'm already thinking about <laughs> which missions I can, 
I can apply it to. So yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I want to um, hark what the others said. Really appreciate uh, you giving the opportunity for uh, myself to come back on. I really appreciate talking with you guys and um, Baltic and uh, Jabbers and Goat and all you guys. Uh, appreciate the work you're doing it i think it's great for the community and that said i think the community is is one of the best fantastic community whenever we do need help if we uh if we go out and ask a question there's always a hundred responses and, and people who are always willing to, to jump in and help as well so for all that are listening i really appreciate all the help that you've given us as well i wanted to point, point out that job is not here as usual yeah, but doesn't he do the editing? He has to listen to our voices. <laughs> he's a, uh, you know, he disappears. We think uh, he's a, actually a superhero. Sometimes he just goes, <laughs> don't know where. But uh, that's. So I, that, I figure I figure I'd shoot him a thanks so he doesn't edit every single thing that I set out. Dose <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thanks, guys. He's going to punch Corona in the face. Um, but I, I would uh, just, uh, again, thank you guys for everything that you do. And I think uh, collaboratively, you've uh, educated me through your campaigns. And I, I truly appreciate it because there's not uh, a lot of structured uh, learning out there. So I appreciate all the work that you put into it. And uh, it, it is absolutely must be for the love of the game because... You guys don't charge a whole bunch, so I really appreciate it. And then, um, as an action item, we're gonna we'll take it and see what we can do to uh, connect some folks together. Let's see if uh, if that makes sense. So we'll we'll take that as an action action item on our side. All right, folks. Um, if any other party words, if we have no party uh, comments, thank you very much. Appreciate your time, and I'm sure we're gonna do this one again because there's still a bunch of stuff that I'm sure we haven't covered. Happy to be a part of it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to Air Combat Sim. Don't forget to subscribe or tell a friend about. It. You have a question, idea for an episode, or a special guest you'd like us to invite? Feel free to reach out on Facebook, Discord, or via email. Air Combat Sim was brought to you by BBR Productions. going to be some some work that's probably going to have to go in and make sure that everything is uh, all the legal uh, that was your common saber yeah, yeah, I was, <laughs> yeah that was my dog um, Go, do you know if Jabbers is coming or not don't i don't know i think he was uh he wanted to make sure that uh, he's probably going to stick with his, uh, you know, standard operating procedure of not being here when it's you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I'm, you know, I already saw it before, so it's not a surprise. <laughs> but I might surprise him once when it's his turn and I show up. I think you should. Yeah. <laughs> hey.
Yeah. Thanks, man. Show show them up. Show them how it's done. <laughs>